Hi, I'm Jack Cacciarello. And I'm Aaron Parnas. And this is Zoomed In. On this week's episode of Zoomed In, Aaron and I are going to be hitting quite a few headlines, talking about Steve Bannon hopefully going to prison soon, uh, a report on Republicans not wanting to vote in 2022, and Terry McAuliffe's run for governor against Glenn Youngkin, Trumpy Glenn Youngkin in Virginia. (laughs) After that, we will finish up by doing Tweets of the Week. So it's a great episode and we are extremely excited. So Aaron, let's not waste any time. Let's zoom in. Aaron, do you like saving money? Yeah. Now tell me, Aaron, do you like saving time? Oh, 100%. Well, then you are going to love today's sponsor, which is stamps.com. Everyone knows that there's nothing more valuable than your time and, of course, your money. So stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Well, Jack, stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Office a U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. And within minutes, you're up and running, printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. Cut the confusion out of shipping, With Stamps.com new rate advisor tool, you can compare shipping rates and timelines to easily find the best option. Wow, that all sounds great. So save time and save money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with our promo code, ZoomedIn, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Zoomed In. That's Stamps.com, promo code Zoomed In. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. Aaron, let's hit the headlines. Jack, let's just jump right into probably the biggest headline of this week, and that is Steve Bannon. So for those of you who have been following or who haven't been following, Trump associate Steve Bannon has defied lawful congressional subpoenas issued by the January 6th committee, who is investigating the scenarios and really what happened um, to incite the insurrection and the coup on the Capitol. And over the past couple of weeks, Steve Bannon has notified Congress that he will defy the subpoenas based on his phony executive privilege claim. And on Tuesday, the January 6th committee officially voted to issue a criminal referral on Steve Bannon for contempt of Congress under two, a Title II U.S. Code Section 1, I believe it's 191. Um, and this is huge news because for many in the public, many folks who have been following this, they look at Congress and they see inaction and they see delays and they see the Democratic Party just constantly shooting ourselves in the foot. Well, now you have action. You have the January 6th committee taking this historic vote holding, uh, issuing this criminal referral. And Jack, now it's sent to the full house. Um, so Speaker Pelosi better get on it and get the, and convene the entire house. Um, over yeah, the next things couple are, weeks. things are rolling on this news. I know there was a period of time there where we were worried. We're saying, yeah. Oh, is the January 6th select committee going to act? Are we going to see what we saw a lot in the Trump administration, which is his subpoenas running their course, people in the Trump administration, not showing up, defying Congress and Trump not being held accountable. And although 
when I talk to people about this ban in news, they're excited, but they're saying, oh, why isn't it happening faster? We have to remember that in holding people accountable in congressional proceedings like this, we're going to have some babies. It takes time. Yeah. It takes time. These are unprecedented times, correct, in, in what's happening right now with Steve Bannon, because the Trump administration itself was unprecedented in its level of lying and corruption. Yeah. And, and now they're being held accountable. So that may take time, but the steps are, are happening. What needs to happen is being put in place. We are moving from the select committee, like you said, to the full house. And hopefully we're going to be seeing at some time in the future, Steve Bannon behind bars and people held accountable for the attack on our democracy that happened on January 6th. So well, Aaron, well, what, what do you expect to see going forward with this process once it reaches the full house, which it will? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a very lengthy process. And, and I mean, it first starts, we've already gotten the first, we've crossed the first two hurdles. He's first, A, defied the subpoena within the deadline they've given him. And now the committee has voted to issue this criminal referral. So now the next step in the process is over the next few weeks, I think I saw a report the other day that at least before Thanksgiving, and many folks might say Thanksgiving, well, that's a month away. Well, yeah, it's only a month away. I mean, Congress can't just convene overnight. Mm -hmm. So over the next few weeks, you'll see the Congress likely convene or the House of Representatives convene to vote on whether to send this criminal referral issued by the committee to the Department of Justice. Now, the House of Representatives cannot charge Bannon with a crime, can't necessarily hold him in contempt of Congress un under, unless they use their archaic um, inherent um, contempt of Congress powers, which they never do. Okay. Um, so what's going to happen is they're going to issue this criminal referral to the Department of Justice after a majority vote, then it's gonna be up in the Department of Justice's hands. And they're gonna to have to present this criminal referral to what is called a grand jury, which is usually 18 to 20 people um, sitting in a room, completely private, um, somewhere in DC. And they're gonna to have to issue what is called an indictment. Um, and then an indictment or a criminal information is what's gonna be used to charge Steve Bannon with contempt of Congress. Now, Jack, I know you said earlier that Hopefully we'll see Steve Bannon in handcuffs soon. And I think we will. I think if, they, if the House votes to move forward and the Department of Justice complies, you'll see Steve Bannon in handcuffs. Now that may be only temporarily. And the reason why okay. is because enforcing a contempt of Congress charge based on a criminal referral from a committee like the January 6th is extremely difficult. And historically has rarely, if ever happened. I mean, you see very few cases throughout our history and especially in modern history where a criminal referral has been issued, a person has been charged with contempt of Congress and that person has been con convicted of, a, of the charge. That doesn't really happen because of appeals, because of the issues when it comes to the actual contempt charge. You see a lot of acquittals actually. Um, but for those who just wanna see Bannon in handcuffs, I, I am pretty sure that will happen if the steps are taken because he has to be arrested when the indictment is issued. Mm -hmm. As far as anything after that, I don't know. Um, and I would actually put it as more likely than not that he won't be convicted of contempt of Congress at the end of the day because of how long this process takes. I mean, you could see Bannon on trial two years from now, mm. right? Like it's not a quick process, no. um, but putting him in handcuffs and dragging his ass to, the D to a DC jail, not a cushy federal, federal prison will scare him and will definitely force him to really rethink whether he wants to continue claiming this phony executive privilege. Yeah, and I think that's important that we're showing that we're putting pressure on people right now. You talked about it being a slow process. We have to remember it. It's a slow process, but it is a process that is putting pressure yeah. on these people. And that's what we need to do. And that is being done because if people are not held accountable, then like we've said so many times, the insurrection was just a trial run 
for what Trump wants to see happen again in 2022 and in 2024. Um, and in speaking of what Trump wants to see in 2022 or in 2024, we had a, a weird statement come out from the former president, from oh, yeah. the former guy, which, you know, no statement from Trump is saying or makes sense or says anything clearly. But this one was especially strange. Trump came out and said that if there are not more election audits, like the one that we saw in Arizona that actually showed more votes for President mm-hmm. Joe Biden, um, if there aren't more election audits, if Republicans aren't talking more about the big lie, then mm-hmm. Republicans just aren't going to vote in 2022. And they're not going to vote I saw in 2024. That. And Trump seemed to actually be encouraging his base of wacko, crazy Republican voters not to show up to the polls, not to vote. Now, Aaron, do you think this is something that Trump is going to continue with? Or is this just part of how he's trying to bend the Republican Party to work for him and to work around what he wants and to, to keep pushing the big lie to feed into his ego and to make sure that he is setting himself up for a run in 2024? Well, I think this is a little bit of Donald Trump playing 4D chess in a way, in a weird way. Um, And not many people give him credit for this. I mean, people just discount him and think he's an idiot, which he is in a lot of ways. But he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's saying when he's making these statements like this. This isn't just a, hey, Republicans don't go out and vote. This is more of a, hey, let's continue to attack our fundamental institutions, our fundamental right to vote. Um, the election process, because if he continues to put these doubts out there and says Republicans don't go vote, what's the alternative for these Republicans? It's to coup. It's to incite more violence. So in essence, Donald Trump is what, he, what he's doing by issuing a statement like this is leading to more violence. Mm-hmm. In my, and uh, Florida State Representative or former Florida State Representative Cindy Polo really talked about this um, when that statement first came out. And she, she really pointed to the fact that, listen, like, it's funny to joke around about a statement like this. And it's funny to say, yeah, yeah, Republicans stay home. But these right-wing Republicans aren't going to just stay home. Mm-hmm. They may not vote. They're going to show gonna up get... when they feel cheated, for sure. Exactly. When they're, they're... when they're being told that they've been exactly. cheated, they're going to show up. And, you know, exactly. Bill, Bill Maher talked about this and, and, you know, say what you will about Bill Maher. But, you know, he made some good points a couple of weeks ago when he was saying that Trump isn't necessarily, we kind of frame it sometimes, as him feeding his ego by spreading the big lie. Yeah. But what he wants to do is set up secretaries of state, attorneys general, governors, state representatives in places like Georgia and Arizona and Florida and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan. So that when things are, twi- uh, when things are tight in, in 2024, when he wants to run again, yeah. he can have these people backing him up. Now they didn't in 2020. We were fortunate that you know, we had secretaries of states in uh, states like Georgia, or that we had a Democratic governor in Michigan who would not allow Trump to use his big lie and try to steal an election, right? We were fortunate to have those you know, yeah. Democratic barriers put in place to make sure that our system went as it was supposed to. But what Trump wants to do in having radicalized Republicans in these positions of power is, is trying to set him up for his insurrection to work in 2024. That the real and that, that like like we say it was a trial run in 2020. It was just people showing up to the Capitol, but he wants to do it within the system in 2024, and that's what's so frightening. Yeah. And that's why we need to hold people accountable right I, now. I I agree with you, Jack, and I think you bring up a really really good point um, about who we have in office right now and who we need to get into office. I mean, 
like you said, imagine if Gretchen Whitmer wasn't Michigan's governor. Mm-hmm. That'd it's be scary. It's terrifying. Scary. And that's and what he wants to do. And it's the same to- thing. Same thing in Pennsylvania, um, where we have a great Democratic candidate, Josh Shapiro, currently running. His opponent could be, could very well be Lou Barletta, who was their opponent um, in the Senate race last cycle, who promoted Trump's big lie. Mm-hmm. In Arizona, you could have easily had a radical right wing Republican like Wendy Rogers, who was claim who was asking for an audit of all fifty states, including Wyoming, which Trump won by like thirty percent. Um, she could have been the governor instead of a more reasonable. Um, even, even though I don't agree with him on a lot, more reasonable governor like Doug Ducey. And, and you can see that across the country. I mean, in Georgia, for example, you have right-wing Republicans, Trump Republicans, challenging Brian Kemp, mm-hmm. who is very already far right no, in my opinion. Um, but they're challenging him because they didn't think he did enough when it came to promoting this big lie. And for Democrats, it's as important as it is to get good Democrats. It's important to keep good Republicans in, in office where... Democrats can't win because of the voter advantage or whatever. You can't have these crazies in office. You can't have half of Congress be Marjorie Taylor Greene because whether you like it or not, Republicans are going to win 150 100 to 200 seats every cycle, just like Democrats are. That's just the mm-hmm. nature of the beast. So I'd much rather have 150 to 200 Liz Cheney's than Marjorie Taylor Greene's. Um, if, if, I, if I had to choose between the lesser of two evils. So, you would rather have candidates who believe in a functioning democracy than those. That exactly. Right? We're single issue voters, it, and it, that's it, voters on democracy. If our candidate believes in democracy, then they, you know, theoretically, that's a candidate that is okay to serve in the U.S. Congress. But if they don't, exactly. they absolutely shouldn't. And when yeah, we talk and, about voting protections, I think that moves us again into a, another important issue. There has been a lot of news this week, and there will continue to be. And something that we really need to talk about is uh, a bill that is being introduced this week, and that is the Freedom to Vote Act, um, which would, will be introduced into the Senate this week, a bill um, that Senator Manchin uh, was leading the charge on, making reforms to uh, previous voting rights bills that had been introduced. Um, he wanted to change it, as Joe Manchin always does. But what we were given um, actually has some, some great parts of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bill will include automatic and same-day voter registration, two weeks of early voting and the establishment of election day as a public holiday. Uh, it also seeks to protect nonpartisan election officials from undue interference. Right. That's awesome. It's a great bill. Yeah. Stacey Abrams has talked about this bill and she has said, is it everything we want? No. Is it most of the things we want? Yes. And that is what's important because it, it puts in place. It, it also, you know, protects against nonpartisan gerrymandering. Right. This is this is a good bill. This is a bill well, that will be critical. Give me part, partisan gerrymandering. Oh right? yeah, sorry. It protects partisan, yeah. partisan gerrymandering. So it, this is a good bill, and, it, and it's a and it's a bill that will uplift our democracy. And so it's not perfect, but it is a compromise. But it doesn't have to be perfect. But it and, doesn't have to be perfect. And, and I'm and I'm honestly personally very tired of folks saying bringing this all or nothing approach to government and to legislating because. If you go all or nothing every single time, you're going to get nothing every single time. And so in a case like this, I mean, there are plenty of great bills Democrats have lined up when it comes to voting rights. You have H.R. 1, you have the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I mean, there are several other bills in the pipeline that don't necessarily have the votes to pass. But if this one does, this was the one we got to go for. And this is the one we got to push. And we are lucky that we have, uh, sometimes we don't, we have 50 supportive Democrats yeah. in the Senate who want to see this bill passed. Right. But, Ex- and yeah. here's the big but there. We have to get through the filibuster. 
Now, Republicans already plan to filibuster this bill in the Senate. And it makes you wonder, did Joe Manchin spend all this time working with other Senate Democrats to rewrite this bill, to change it in a way that he thought would be better, you know, as a piece of legislation, just to see it fail because of the filibuster? Will Joe Manchin, he said before that he won't, but will he change his mind on the filibuster in allowing this bill to protect our voting rights to go through? Aaron, do you think that Manchin, there's any wiggle room, especially on a bill like this, that he's worked hard on to have different, you know, different views from Democrats come in and, and, and tweak the bill? It seems to be a bill that he's proud of. Do you think he'll he'll budge on the yeah. filibuster? No, I don't think so. Um, and seeing Joe Manchin's previous statements, and I don't think even Cinema would even bump um, budge here, or rather, Manchin Cinema and probably five or six other Democrats. If I'm mm-hmm. going to be honest with you. Um, Because it's not just a mansion cinema issue. There, I think, 11 Democrats total right now who don't agree with removing the filibuster. I think some will get over it when it comes to Voting Rights Act, but I don't think all of them will. Um, I think Manchin still has this false hope that Republicans are open to legislating, especially in the Senate. I don't know why he has that false hope, given the fact that Mitch McConnell is their leader. um, And he... And in many ways, I mean, I've heard this from colleagues of mine who say that he has been one of the most effective legislators in history. And the reason why is because he's been so effective at obstructing the other side mm-hmm. and obstruction and obstructing legislation. Because truly, when you look at McConnell's tenure, he's gotten out almost everything he's wanted out and he's gotten in almost anything he's gotten in. Uh, he's wanted in. So I think Manchin really needs to abandon this false hope and whether that's just abandoning it and just saying, okay, McConnell won't work with us. Therefore we have to just elect more senators and not abolish the filibuster or go ahead and say, I'm going to abolish the filibuster altogether when it comes to this. And and here's the the thing with with Manchin's position on the filibuster is that he and Senator Sinema, and I know that there's other Democrats in the Senate who are, you know, standing behind them and don't want to necessarily come out with their full support against changing the filibuster mm-hmm. in any way. But the problem is when they're so outward and saying that we absolutely won't change the filibuster, we are going to need to either go through reconciliation or we will need 10 Republican senators on whatever we do, which you can't find because there usually aren't 10 Republican senators. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw the infrastructure bill that rare to happen again. Okay, mm-hmm. That will most likely not happen again. But when mm-hmm. they come out so fervently and say, we will absolutely not be doing this, what incentive does it have for Republicans to come to the table and talk to them, right? When Manchin and Cinema, when the reports coming out that seemed like, oh, the debt ceiling, they may change their mind on the filibuster, right? right. They may do it and just go, go without the break through the filibuster, say, this is too important of an issue. We're getting rid of the filibuster for this one. Immediately, Republicans came to the table. Immediately, Mitch McConnell folded. Because what scares Republicans most is, is getting rid of the filibuster, because that's something that they do not want to see Democrats do. So if we, if we say that we won't, it's a terrible political strategy by Manchin to get bipartisanship, because no one wants to work with him as a Republican if there's no reason to, if they can continue to obstruct our agenda because he won't abolish the filibuster. So well, coming out and saying that he won't do anything doesn't make any sense as a political strategy. I mean, I think it does. Um, I will, A, I don't think Manchin... Manchin is really thinking strategy anymore. I do think this is probably Manchin's last term in the Senate, if I had to guess, or if not his last, his second to last, because he will likely be reelected in in West Virginia. Um, And in that regard, I don't think he's thinking political strategy because he doesn't see anywhere else where he wants to go. He's comfortable in his job and he's likely going to stay there until he retires. 
Second, um, I think it's time that as a society and that those who are politically involved stop talking about this as a filibuster versus no filibuster issue. Because if you walk down the streets of Lexington, Kentucky, or of Wichita, Kansas, or really anywhere, and you ask 10 people whether they agree or not with abolishing the filibuster, nine out of 10 of them are gonna say, what the hell is the filibuster, right? Because regular people don't care about the filibuster. But what they say care is, about seeing results. Regular people do care about seeing results. <clears throat> but what's, what's happening here is that the blame is falling on President Biden and the rest of the party, where it's two Democratic senators who are saying, we won't work because of the filibuster and we won't work with you because we don't have enough Republicans on board. But well, we you saw the Republicans on board if, if they don't feel like there's an incentive for them to work. And the Jack. filibuster, the possibility of getting rid of it would be the reason why they'd want to come to the table. Because if the filibuster is gone, then they're, then they're not needed, right? Jack, I, 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 listen, remember back in 2017 when um, the big push in the Republican Party and that they have now since abandoned, I think, I hope at least, is to abolish the Affordable Care Act. Um, Speaker Ryan at the time pushed with Trump um, in coordination with Trump. They pushed through this terrible Republican health care bill. And John McCain came out and was the um, 51st vote or 50th vote, no vote um, against it at a late night hour. The time the Republicans also were clamoring to abolish the filibuster to pass that Obamacare repeal. And the Republicans just didn't do it. And they suffered in the polls substantially. In 2018, there was really a blue wave across the country. Granted, it wasn't as big as many pundits had, had thought. It was pretty big, though. Um, and I think Democrats really need to learn a lesson from what happened in 2017 and what happened before. I like Personally, I've said this before. I'm not here until we talk about possible filibuster reforms and other mechanisms, at least getting somewhere. Um, I think the all or nothing radical um, just abolish the filibuster approach isn't where I'm at just yet. And, and I'm there with about probably 15 or 20 Democratic senators who want to see filibuster reform, who don't, who don't necessarily want to go from zero to 100 right away, because there, there, are, devil, uh, there are other points and contradicting points um, in the fact that if you abolish the filibuster today, the Republican Party is going to do whatever the hell they want in 2024 and beyond. Um, and we've had this conversation um, about the filibuster, and I think it's just when you have an issue like voting rights and protecting our democracy. I it's agree. I think there is some change made in this individual instance for us to get this bill through because it is not a, a bill to help Democrats. It's not a bill to help Republicans. It is a bill to help our democracy. And I think if we should be able to come together on one bill, it's this one. And if we can't well, I, get Republicans that, to come together so, on it, we need to make some change. And that so change is to the filibuster yeah. entirely but it needs to be changed enough to let us get this bill through. I agree. And I think that if we can carve out an exception to the filibuster in this bill. And I think yes, we should. Let's do it. Let's do it immediately. Let's do it tomorrow. I don't know what we're waiting for. What we're um, waiting for is a, is a mansion or a Senate right. cinema to be okay with that. And that's the problem. Well, the now, problem is it's carving not out an just mansion. The, it, it's not just mansion or cinema, Jack. It's, and I know, it's, it, and it's not, but those are the loudest. A bunch voices. of other senators. And, and, I, and I think that it, it's, it's probably time that we see President Biden come out and say that he wants there to be- Well, well that's true. Even, in, even, in President, even President Biden has not supported abolishing the filibuster. He has not exactly outwardly supported it, but, but I he's, think the he's the leader of the party. And if he, if he, he wants- has not he, been talking yeah. about this legislative process maybe as much as he should be. And I think- well, no, but He hasn't I, but been I talking about he, it at all. In but I think he would be in favor. And I think he has suggested that he would be in favor. 
and making a carve out, or at least there being changes. He has talked about a talking filibuster. He is talking about making so sure that's where that people at. are in the yep. chamber. Filibuster reform. Filibuster reform. We need to we need to change it because bills like this should be getting yes. through, and it'll eventually fall on the party entirely instead of just Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema and a couple other. I don't know how I don't know if we can land a number on how many other Democrats in the Senate are opposed to reforming the filibuster, right? Yep. But we can't allow these this idea that Democrats don't get stuff done to fall on the entire party when it's two people holding us back and it's one filibuster, one arcane you know, racist civil war, well, you know, relic of, of past times that was, right. that was used to hold down great legislation to help Americans, right? We don't need that. We need reform to it. We need it now. Well, I agree with you. And I think I, I would ask that President Biden come out um, and really speak forcefully on this and start making calls to Cinema and Mansion on this, um, if that's the direction the party wants to go. Um, I think I think I think if we if we keep looking to cinema and mansion for guidance here, we're making them the leaders of the party and we're letting them obstruct our legislation. That should not happen. Just because just like the Republican Party does not make Rand Paul their spokesperson, <laughs> we should not make Joe Manchin our spokesperson. I mean, we have a Democratic president in the White House. If he wants this legislation passed and if he wants to do it by either reforming or abolishing or carving out um, an exception to the filibuster in this situation. He needs to come out and he needs to say it and he needs to get the, those seven to 10 Democrats who are not fully there yet in the Senate on board. And I think he can easily do it, but he just has to lead from up front instead of letting cinema and mansion dictate the narrative. And dictate I agree that those are the steps that need to be taken. He needs to make it public that there needs to be reform to the filibuster Correct. so his agenda can be passed. Him, Joe Manchin, those senators need to go on Joe Manchin's houseboat. Um, if you don't know, Joe Manchin doesn't live in D.C. He lives in a houseboat. It's called the Almost Heaven. Well, and, he lives in D.C. I mean, it's on the Potomac River. I uh, think. It's on his so, houseboat. And so well, he says he doesn't have a house. He's got a houseboat. Yes. So they need to get on the Almost Heaven and they need to bang this thing out. They need to actually, you know, come together. It doesn't need to be in statements by Manchin and, you know, statements to the press that he's making that are like disconnected and all over yeah. the place. They need to have one on one conversation. Joe Biden needs to have Joe Manchin locked in the Oval Office and them just talking until they can figure this thing out because I'm yep. tired of seeing it just go back and forth with nothing actually happening, right? We are a party with a chance to do incredible things and we need to do that right now. And speaking of a party with a chance to do incredible things, let's talk about the Virginia gubernatorial race. It is coming up a little too quickly, um, <laughs> it seems. Terry McAuliffe running against Trumpy Trump, Glenn Youngkin, Glenn, Glenn Trumpkin. Um, <laughs> and it, it is a one might say a closer race than some would have expected. Mm -hmm. That may be fatigue. That may be, you know, not the most accurate polling, but the race is closer than we would expect, especially in a state where Joe Biden won Virginia by, you know, 10, 11 points. And, and a lot of the topic of the conversation around this race has been, how should we be running it? How should we mm -hmm. be campaigning? Is Terry McAuliffe going to talk about the incredible things that he did for the people of Virginia in his time as governor? Or does he need to be talking about Glenn Youngkin? Mm -hmm. And what it's appeared the messaging has been is it's about Glenn Youngkin. It's about saying he is a little Trump. He is a little little Glenn Trumpkin. He's a little, mm -hmm. little baby Trump. And we cannot have that for the people of Virginia because people in Virginia hate Donald Trump. It's obvious. Well, they voted in, in large <laughs> numbers for, for Joe Biden. And so it, it's a great conversation that we need to have. And I think we should have it now yeah. about going forward in the midterms. What should we be focusing on? Do we, yeah, want to no. say, do we want to say Democrats are getting stuff done and Democrats need to get stuff done, so elect more Democrats? Or do we need to say, look at all these little mini Trumps 
These mm. people can't govern. That's why you need to vote for us. What's your, what is your approach to that strategy, Aaron? Well, I think it's definitely, I mean, you made some definitely some interesting points um, when you were just discussing the upcoming election. And one, I think that the reason why it's a lot closer than most people expect, given that Virginia is a plus whatever, 10, 11 Democratic uh, state, is because it's an off-year election. Yeah. And Republicans almost always tend to vote more in off-year elections. I mean, in and odd years. Tired. And we're tired. tired. I mean, we just, we, we just had a 2020 presidential election that for Joe Biden keeps winning every day. Um, so we keep <laughs> litigating that election every single day. Yeah, it's voters, hard to win this much. Voters, voters are fatigued. And especially in this off-year, you have a lot of Trump voters very energized. That's number one. Number two, I think the messaging thus far hasn't been the right messaging out of the McAuliffe campaign. I mean, I will make a prediction right now, and I think Terry McAuliffe wins by, if I had to guess, 3.2 points. That is, that is my prediction. And I, th- lock, and it I, and I lock it in. Lock it in. Lock it in. It's a Parnos prediction. Take, I like it. Take it to the bank. I Double think P. he's going to win by about three points. Um, but it is too close. It is a lot closer than we should be. Um, and the reason why is because we're not pushing uh, why Terry McAuliffe why Joe Biden message. Instead, we're pushing a, no, Donald Trump is this big, bad bully. We don't like Donald Trump message. That message, voters across this country have heard for years. They are tired of it. I think it's a message that works, though, because if it wasn't a message that worked, Darren, why would Glenn Youngkin, he has, it's so obvious that he does not want Trump to come to Virginia. He was a little little uneasy about the Trump endorsement. He tries to stay away from talking about vaccines and a big lie. You know, he he has talked about election integrity Mm -hmm. because he's hyping up that base. But that's, you know, that's a little softer than what Trump would do. I think it's an effective strategy in in getting voters out there because obviously Youngkin is responding to it. He's scared of the Trump comparisons. He doesn't want them. He is. And and. Okay, so what, why he's scared of it and why he's been so hesitant to even invite Trump to Virginia to campaign on behalf of him is because he's scared of what Trump can say or what him accepting Trump does for him. Us just saying Glenn Youngkin is another Trump doesn't do anything for those voters. I mean, it, it, it just we're talking into the echo chamber of voters who already believe that. Him, if he embraces Donald Trump, he turns off the many lean right Republican voters in Virginia Beach, in Northern Virginia, um, that uh, the suburban working class mothers, for example, those voters that typically do vote Republican and voted Republican for Bush and Romney um, and McCain, those are the Republicans Glenn Youngkin needs to win over and needs to turn out. So if he embraces Donald Trump, that's not happening. Yeah, those aren't Trump they, Republicans. And especially when there's but, not a big yeah, margin. But, but if, we hear, if we hear that messaging from Democrats, or not we, if they hear that messaging from Democrats, they're going to be like, okay, I get it. Like I've been hearing this for four years, five years. But if they see the Republican candidate for governor embrace Donald Trump, they're going to be like, holy shit, we can't vote for this guy. No. Like, it's not just Democratic propaganda anymore that people are just like sp- spreading it's now Republicans actually opening, openly embracing him, openly embracing these conspiracies and this craziness. So I do think that's different. And going into 2022, we need to adopt a similar message. We need to let the Republican Party implode um, because Donald Trump is going to be a big player in 2022. He's going to be endorsing candidates. He's going to be out there rallying for candidates. 
And most of those candidates won't want that. I mean, you saw Chuck Grassley even come out the <laughs> other day. And, oh my God, senile Chuck on, Grassley. If you, ha- if you <laughs> haven't seen the clip, he went up on stage and he basically said, I, I would be dumb not to accept this endorsement, right? Yeah. Like, I, I should do it's this, right? Are you sure I should do this? And then and afterwards, like, He's even yeah. scared to accept it. In Iowa, where Trump is very popular, Correct. he's also afraid to accept the endorsement. That's why I'm saying it is essential that we tie these people to Trump and say this is a crazy party they can't govern. I think but that will is- happen regardless, Jack. That will happen regardless. I think by we Donald need to Trump make it infinitely clear. I think we need to make it infinitely sure. clear that people who are maybe not paying attention to, you know, every rally that Chuck Grassley is going to hold. We need to let them know that these are people who are focused on the big lie. Terry McAuliffe came out and said it. He said, Glenn Youngkin is talking about election audits and Donald Trump. I'm talking about what can be done to help the people of Virginia. So He's that's even the way you do the message. It. That's the way you do it's it. important. Yes, that you is do the way it you as do a combination, but I think Correct. you still do it. We have to make sure, sure. we're doing it. I'm just not saying Rick, to stop. Just as yeah. Rick told us, you have to tie him to the crazy, right? You have yes. to say, these fucking whack shit people, that's, that is the party. Do you want to be with them or do you want to be with Democrats who are going to govern? And I think you do those things in tandem, but you have to do it. You have to not be afraid to tie them to Trump. I agree with you. And I'm not saying to abandon that strategy completely. I'm just saying that our primary strategy from our side has to be, look what we've done and look what we plan on doing. That has to be number one. And then number two has to be, okay, look at the crazy on the other side. It can't be flipped. Because in 2016, it was flipped and we lost. In yeah. 2020, it was flipped and we almost lost. Yeah, The election was a lot closer than it ever needed to be. And, in 2022, and, it can't be that way. Well, let's finish this up. You know, we're the Zoomed In podcast. What we care about is what's important to young people. Right. What message do you think will get young people out more? An anti-Trump message or a message of what, the, what Democrats can do if they hold majorities? Uh, the, in your the opinion, the latter. Um, and the reason why is because if Democrats run on a campaign of canceling or reducing student loan debt, of climate reform, of a local infrastructure reform, legalization of legalization recreational of, marijuana, of, of recreational marijuana, things that young people truly care about, the issues that young people care about. If that's our platform, we're going to turn out in record numbers. And you and I both already agree that in 2022 young people will turn out in record numbers, right? That's something, that's something that we both agree on, right? It'll, it'll be tough, but I hope so. We ex- we, I'm not going to say we expect it to happen because we're not always in the, in the game of making predictions, but we think, we think that this can happen, right? We yes. think that this can be an amazing election for young people. It's, it's not to say, will it necessarily happen? It's saying, to what extent will it happen? Can we make this a dramatic turnout for young people? Because if it is, the Democratic Party... It's, it's, it's all smooth sailing, right? I agree. That's why they have to be focused on getting this message to yes. us. That's why it's important that we amplify the messages of other young people. And that's yeah. why we really have to have these conversations now with how we engage with voters, old, young and old, both alike, and how we get them out to vote and how we get them to care about this election. Because like you said, Virginia, it's an off year. People are kind of tired. We're both tired. Yeah. 2020 was tough. We're still in the middle of, of a pandemic. We're still recovering. Do you see these bags pandemic. under my eyes? I'm I know tired. we're too, man, we're too young for this. We're <laughs> to be this tired. I'm a college student. That's why. Uh, and you're a lawyer. So, you know, we're, <laughs> but you know, people are tired and you know, it's okay that they are, but we need to continue to turn out 
And if we, and we have will. an energized message, we will, right? But we're, we're, that's why right now it's important to amplify these voices yeah. and get behind young people. Support and if you're a young, young person, people. yeah. If you're a young person listening to this podcast right now, stay energized. Go out. Go and go get um go register to vote if you ha- if you haven't already and um come out in 2022, come out in 2021, um come out in 2023. There are off your elections. Really, really make your voice heard. It's the only way we're going to get our reforms truly passed. And Jack, with that, let's we've hit the headlines. Thank you so much. This this has been awesome. I think this is a great I, discussion. I, yeah. We had a lot of news this week to cover. We hit a lot of headlines. I think we hit them out of the park. Uh, So with that being said, let's go to Tweets of the Week. Aaron, Halloween is right around the corner, and I could not be more excited. You know it's one of my favorite holidays, and and I wanted to know, what what are you going to dress up as? Well, you know, I was thinking of going maybe a costume from Squid Games, but the more I think about it, I think I'm just going to get a wig that looks like Jack. And just wear it and be Jack for Halloween. You're going to be me for Halloween? I'm going to be you for Halloween, Are Jack. you going to wear stilts? You might be able to pull it off. Well, ha, one you're thing, funny. One thing that I could say that might be scarier than that, Aaron, than you going as me for Halloween, <laughs> would be paying too much for your home and auto insurance. Policy Genius can help you with that. You know, Policy Genius makes it easy to compare home and auto insurance in one place. They can help you find home and auto coverage similar to what you have now, but at a lower price. And I've used this Policy Genius service firsthand. And I've seen how they've saved customers an average of $12.50 per year over what they were paying for home and auto insurance. They've saved customers an average of $4.35 on auto insurance and an average of $350 per year on home insurance. Their team will handle the paperwork from start to finish to help set up your new policy or switch over it from your current one. Wow, that sounds awesome because getting started is easy. First, head to policygenius.com and answer a few quick questions about yourself and your property. Then Policy, Policy Genius takes it from there. They'll compare rates from America's top insurers from Progressive to Allstate to find you the lowest quotes. And, you know, the Policy Genius team can look for ways for you to save more, including bundling your home and auto policies. And if they find a better rate than what you're paying now, they'll switch you over for free. Their top-notch service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. Yeah. So head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Now it's time for Tweets of the Week. Our first tweet comes from Senator Amy Klobuchar. She says, just a reminder, the word filibuster is not in the U.S. Constitution. I I love Amy. I love Amy Klobuchar. She is the best. And I think we should keep that in mind when we're talking about the filibuster. Our Mm -hmm. next tweet comes from Dan Price, who says, the problem isn't that 10 million jobs are open. It's that 40% of homeless people are employed. We need to change the way that America rewards wealth and not work. We need to make sure that people who are working every day, who are working 40 hours a week, who are working more than that in some instances, are living above the poverty line, maybe even more than above the poverty line, right? It's time to reward work, not wealth in this country. And speaking of that, our final tweet closes with an incredible point. This is from Santiago Mayor. Santiago Mm -hmm. says, so Joe Manchin opposes taxing families making over $400,000 a year because they're middle class. But he's also opposed to giving child tax credit benefits to families making over $60,000 a year because they're rich. Make it make sense. 
And Jack, I know you may have said that that's the final tweet of the week, but I have one more I have to add on. And this is from at JD Cotterella. And he said this week, quote, I think I'm addicted to Oreos. They're just so good. Oreos. Oreos. Please sponsor my life. So Oreos, Oreos. if you're, if you're, this is not a sponsorship or a paid advertisement, but if we want, if you want to make it one, we would gladly accept it. Oreos, please sponsor Zoomed In. I'm like, I'm actually asking, this isn't a joke. Please sponsor the Zoomed In podcast. This is how we're going to finish. Do you want this week? We're not getting paid for this, but Tweets of the Week is going to be sponsored by Oreo. Okay, Oreo, they're delicious. They're amazing. And uh, yeah, so Tweets of the Week is sponsored by Oreo. And that was Tweets of the Week. And that is our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Zoomed In podcast every Wednesday and live on Twitter every Thursday. We are so appreciative of the Zoomed In family. It grows every week. And it's so awesome to have you guys leave reviews or tweet at us and tell us how much you love the show. Sometimes um, the tweets aren't so positive, so you can keep those to yourself because we just want positive vibes mm-hmm. in the Zoomed In podcast. But if you want to leave a review, please make it five stars. And, and we'd love to hear your feedback. And if you'd like to tweet at us, Aaron, where can the people find you? Um, on all of my socials, at Aaron Parnas. What about you, Jack? Well, you can find me eating Oreos or you can find me on Twitter at JD Cotterella. That's J-D-C-O-C-C-H-I-A-R-E-L-L-A, JD Cotterella. And please make sure you subscribe to the Zoomed In podcast so that you can get our episodes on, you know, if that you listen to the podcast app, if that's Spotify, if that's Google, wherever you get your podcasts, you can be the first to listen to the Zoomed In podcast on Wednesday. Or we love catching you live on Thursday on Twitter where we can, you know, interact with you in, you know, the chat and, you know, just talk about the episode. We love seeing people show up uh, and, and get to interact with everyone. So thank you again so much for listening to our show and we will zoom in with you next week.